just to let you know, this episode mentions suicide. Human beings are some of the most adaptable species on Earth. We have built our world in unimaginable ways. We have built structures to last hundreds of years, developed technologies that connect us around the world, domesticated plants and animals to feed our towns and cities. Our adaptation to our constantly changing environment has never stopped. But now we all face a new challenge, adapting and surviving in the face of extreme weather caused by climate change. For poor communities, most at risk, this presents a huge challenge. I'm Diane Njeru from BBC Media Action, and in this episode, we are going to explore how people in East Africa are adapting, or not, to a rapidly changing climate. Tonight we begin in the remote villages of Turkana County, where shocking images of malnourished children are becoming commonplace as famine continues to devastate the Turkana people. Mozambique and neighboring states are still struggling tonight to rescue victims of a deadly storm and reach others with aid. The cyclone killed hundreds when it struck last week. Now relentless rain creating floodwaters almost 20 foot high in parts. Some have only trees and rooftops for survival. Years of heavy rain have caused havoc in the city of Durban. Shipping containers have been carried away or strewn across... Extreme weather events are increasing all over the world. But in many parts of Africa, people and communities are struggling to adapt. It's either severe droughts or extreme flooding both of which are devastating to livestock and crop farmers and affects everything from schools, health, infrastructure, access to markets and security. Rob Ali, a Met officer who grew up in Marsabit in northern Kenya, reflects on how they are using weather forecasts to help people adapt to climate change. They have been relying on the locals, but of late, since this uh, issue of climate change came, they have started saying it is better they rely on us because they have not been say, seeing meteorological. What are they doing? Nobody knows what about meteorology. It's only they see it in TV that it's going to rain here and there. That is all they know. But most of the people do not have the TV. Well, uh, of late, we have been having a cooperation with the local firms. They come to us or they call us and then they get the information. And we give them the information in our mother tongue or in Kiswahili, and then from there on it is interpreted for them. Our main part is, you know, people might not understand forecasting, how it is going to be. The best thing is inform them what to, how to do, okay? That advice we give to all the ministries that are concerned, and then we tell them, tell people, the livestock, the agriculture people, uh, the fisheries, all this, and the state department, like NDMA, uh, the DRM, the county government, and then uh, the security people also, because might be they are going to have a small rain just in one corridor. And then, and this Marsabit County is cosmopolitan. Everybody goes there when there is rain. Those people with livestock, then there's going to be security issues, okay? Pasture, fighting for pasture, fighting for water. So all these people, we give them the advice. Iwaton Lokai, from northern Kenya, is finding that inconsistent weather patterns are making it hard for him to support his seven children. For us, eating is 50-50. Sometimes we have, sometimes we stay like that with our children. 
If the government doesn't help us, there's nothing else we can do. If God had given me strength, I would have taken all the goods that died to my children's school as fees. That way, if I died, then I would have left my children with something to support each other. But now I can't. I wish the government would help us with some money so that when it rains, we can restock our goats. If we had the goats and it rains, we could have restored our livelihoods. That way, we could also have paid school fees for our children. Another way that the government could help us is by feeding us so that we have enough strength to farm. Shadrach Lekimain, a young Samburu Moran, or traditional warrior, from Kenya, had to drop out of school because his family wasn't getting enough income from their livestock to meet their basic needs and pay his fees. Now, everyone in the family has to earn their keep to survive from drought, cattle rustlers, and wild animals. The weather has changed since I was a child. There used to be a lot of water and pasture. Now, when we go to areas where there used to be water, we find that it dried out long time ago. Even places where animals used to go to for water have dried out. There is less pasture. The drought has hurt us. A big challenge we face is insecurity from cattle rustlers. We are forced to fight and be armed. This fight is about water and pasture. All this is caused by drought. Long ago, we had communal grazing. Now, people are fencing their grasslands. Then we also have to deal with wild animals who are also looking for food. Lions and leopards attack us. They are also hungry. My family alone has lost over a hundred livestock to wild animals. Africa accounts for the smallest share of global greenhouse gas emissions at just 3.8% in contrast to 23% in China, 19% in the US, and 13% in the European Union. And yet it's hit hard by climate change. Dr. Abu Bakasali from ICPAC, the IGAD Climate Prediction and Application Center, explains why the impacts of climate change are so keenly felt in Africa. We have high dependency on natural resources. It's still livelihood depend on rain-fed agriculture, depend on, on livestock, herding, depend on forest and all ecosystem services. So when climate change or start to be more erratic and variable in this way, the impact is felt more on us compared to developed nations. Also, our infrastructure is less developed when you compare it to the developed world. Our roads can easily be eroded because of a flood. We don't have very strong, for example, insurance system and water supply system in the time of drought to cover for those impacts. We are also geographically located in one of the most warmer regions. We are mostly on the tropic. So the increase in temperature also increase other elements of climate streams. East Africa has a high climate variability where we experience both droughts and floods. Climate change is increasing the occurrence of these extreme weather events. Eight cyclones developed over the Indian Ocean in 2019, the highest number since records began, and in October of the same year, Djibouti received the amount of rainfall they usually get over two years in just four days. Today, the Horn of Africa is experiencing a once-in-a-generation drought, 
with famine likely in some places. My name is Penina Lororua. I am 54 years old. I'm married and have nine children. We are farmers, but also have a few herds of goats and cattle that we keep. We started farming not too long ago because in the past there was no much drought and we had a large number of cattle and goats, so we never used to rely on farming. In the past, the rain used to be adequate and hence we used to have good grass cover. But nowadays, we do not get adequate rain and drought has come after. Our animals have died because of the drought and we have remained with just a few. Hence, we decided to embrace farming. We get our food from the farm and the food is able to sustain us. When it rains, we are able to harvest and store some food for the drought season. We have remained with a few goats because of drought. We have created a small area for the goats and use most of the land now for farming. That was Penina Lororwa, who has moved to crop farming for sustenance. In Somalia, which is already ravaged by civil war, the situation is grimmer. It hasn't rained in the east region of Puntland, northeast of Somalia. This has led to devastating losses of entire herds and turned some places into ghost towns. We spoke to Yahya Shire, a radio producer in Puntland who travelled for two days to reach Bereda district to interview the family members of Mustafa, who, as his family explains, found it impossible to cope with the losses suffered during the drought. Kalula and Berida were one of the richest towns in the region, where most of the income of the country came from. People used to go there looking for jobs, but during my trip, I saw that there were no more employment opportunities and health services. Most of the people who live there have either moved, and what were once populated towns are almost deserted. You can see that the drought has affected the region. It is visible in the livestock, the people, and the land. Some of the livestock have died, and there are very few people still living there with a few livestock that are very skinny and dehydrated. Wherever you meet is either moving to where there is water or to the city. We had a hard time convincing people to give us an interview because they could not understand the aim of the interview, although we explained many times. But after contacting many people, we were allowed to meet the deceased man's family. I am aware that there have been some suicide cases in this region. The main reason for the suicides is the prolonged drought. And when people face the effects of the drought for a long period, they get depressed. And sometimes they just can't take it anymore and end their lives. The major challenge in our trip was meeting with the deceased man and woman's families, especially the man's family. I met Mustafa's wife and his uncle. I did not see anyone sick there, although they did not have enough food to sustain their lives any longer. Mentally, they were struggling, especially his wife, because she had half the responsibility to feed her family, and now she was all alone with her husband gone, and there was so much that was expected from her. She was very sad and could barely talk about what had happened. When I reached there, I could already see that most families have already moved from their homes in search of another way to sustain their lives. So if the drought continues, I think everyone will eventually move from there.
Very sadly, Mustafa's case is not an isolated incident. We found that there were similar cases in the region. Yahya met with another family who were also suffering terribly as a result of the drought. My name is Abdurrahman Mahmoud Abdurrahman. I'm a pastoralist living in Longoro rural area in Puntland, Somalia. I'm Hodan's uncle. She was living with her father before she got married. She was a pastoralist rearing camel, goat and sheep. The prolonged droughts which killed the livestock occurred for two years. Although we have no idea what made her kill herself, but their livestock have all died including the camels that they use for transportation. The family including herself had a hard time. We could not support each other because each of us was having a hard time of his own. All our camels died. The rest of the livestock were almost wiped out. Words cannot describe what had happened in this small rural town. Camels are our mode of transportation. They all died after two years of drought because there was nothing to drink or eat and that has made us helpless. She was sad about the situation brought about by the drought but she did not tell us that she planned to take her life. Otherwise, we could have advised her not to. Right now, the water is 150 kilometers away from Ongoro. Camels that we used for transportation have all died. The only way to transport water here is by use of vehicles of which we don't have any. So, we have no other choice but to rent them. And the minimum cost is $400 per trip. The droughts have affected our lives and cost of living terribly. We used to sell our livestock to manage our lives, but now most have died and the rest won't be alive for long. Some communities have been able to overhaul their entire way of living in order to survive. One such project is in Natot village in Turkana, a small community of herders living north in Kenya. Victor Juma from Bright Hope International, an organization that supports people to adapt to climate change, tells us how they are changing people's way of living by helping the herders become farmers. My name is Victor Juma, community project coordinator working with Bright Hope International, Trukana County. People were dying, animals were dying, and everything was dry. Bright Hope came in in hand with the church to distribute uh, relief food to the community. During the distribution, there was a dialogue on uh, sharing of ideas, how mitigations that were set in place to ensure that we were not losing lives and uh, also that the community was surviving and passing through the hardships and the hurdles. The church had an idea and had identified piece of land with a focus of the communities and people who are living below $2 in a day. When I first went to that village, life had pushed them to the wall. Most of them were saying, we have been abandoned and no one cares about us. But as the project picked momentum, most of the women, most of the men, most of the youth and the children are now able to put on a smile on their faces. They are now transacting. They are now entrepreneurs. Most of them had never traveled to Lodwa town, but they are now able to get to town they are now able to communicate and they are like marveling. Are you serious? We are the ones producing food for this big town here. Most of the women who are hopeless, they are now taking their kids to school. They are able to have three meals a day. They are able to put on good clothes. They are able to take a bath, something they didn't have before. Their lives have changed. They are happy. 
Some of them didn't have even beddings, but they now have beddings. They can sleep comfortably after working hard in the sun. That is what I call achievement. Their immune system and their health has improved. Their skin is shiny without applying oil. That means they're eating well. So I'm happy for them. Even though the project is now seen as a beacon of hope and offering a more sustainable and practical way to adapt to climate change, communities still often hold on to their old ways. However, the more they see the impact on their lives, the more willing they are to adapt. Generally, in most areas, whenever a new idea is brought up, there are challenges. In the process of implementation, you learn along the way because when you are dealing with the community, there are so many other issues that come up as you are implementing or you are sharing the ideas. Like, for example, resistance. Like, we are pastoralists, we keep animals, we, we feed on meat, we feed on milk. What pushed them so hard and for them to accept the idea of embracing agriculture is because they were going angry, despite the fact that they had their animals and they were seeing their animals depleting day after day because each day they go out to graze come in lesser number than they, the way they left in the morning so they've been machetted their health is not promising the community was also threatened that if we don't take initiative we are going to die and so for them to survive the, the situation the condition pushed them to accept this new idea because they've been eating food which they don't know where it comes from they only keep animals so they don't know how maize is grown they didn't know how vegetables are grown they don't know how fruits are grown so it was something new. The one thing they were saying is that if other people out there are doing it, then why can't we try it? With more and more communities going through these difficult times, more and more are embracing new ways to live, eat and thrive. In Ethiopia, communities have started planting elephant grass to help them protect themselves and their lands from flooding. <laughs> My name is Omar Sarmolo. My wife is Hiria Hussein. God blessed me with eight children. We live in Topena, East Warada, Topena Kola. I'm a farmer. The climate has changed a lot over the last five years. The weather has been erratic and the temperature has been rising. The rain doesn't come when we expect it, and it comes unexpectedly. Unless it rains, my maize farm won't yield, and it will only be used to feed cattle. My name is Heria Hussein. We live in the Benagolaurada, East Miskan. We produce wheat, maize, tape, and other crops. The rainfall pattern is irregular. Sometimes it rains even before cultivation season. It has been five years of irregular rain. The temperatures are raising because sometimes there is no rain, sometimes it gets too cold, sometimes it gets too hot. The weather is distracting. With SOS training, we planted elephant grass. Before we built the gabion retaining walls, there was flooding frequently causing a lot of destruction. The whole compound had grass. It was beautiful, but the flood destroyed it. Our plants at the backyard were damaged. It also brings dirt, damage the roots of plants, 
Even our house was at a risk of being swept by the floods. After building the gabion retaining wall and planting trees on the hill, the running water is sucked into the soil and water level in the well has increased. We have frequent floods that washed away our crop and brought a lot of silt and stones. But after planting this grass, elephant grass, the flooding has decreased. Only the clean water needed for the vegetables passed through the grass and the sand, silt and stones stay up the hill. They are held back by the roots of the elephant grass and it is also used to feed our livestock. We feed them a plant residue such as straws and the amount of milk they produce was low. Now we get more milk from the cattle. Previously, what we called winter is turning into summer. The weather pattern is changing and that worries me a lot because crops will dry up and die. I worry constantly because I don't know how we will deal with these changes. Tupista and Sentenza have always made a living from the fishing industry. They have now had to diversify income sources as fish stocks continue to deplete in Lake Victoria, Uganda. My name is Tupista Nankinga. I am a resident of Port Bell, Luzira. I am a 53 years old fishmonger dealing in Nile Patch. I have six children, some are studying, others are already grown up. I am a businesswoman now, but previously I was doing fishing, made bricks, and I even tried selling fish door-to-door in a bucket. Now I only survive on selling Nile Patch. Now I only survive on selling Nile Patch. I have lived here for 32 years, and I've managed to pay school fees for my children. I even bought a plot and built a house. Selling Nile Patch is the only business I depend on. I can no longer go fishing because with my size, the boat can easily lose balance. We have been attacked by floods thrice now, but this last one was really severe. Previously, the water would subside after seven months, but this time round, it took two years and we lost our property. The water was too much. It was the level of my chest. I had to use a boat to access my house to try and salvage property. Things have really changed on the lake. We spent two years not staying here because of the floods. We've just come back. We fought the water because they say that what does not talk cannot defeat us who talk. We fought it up to this level. Even at the landing site, you could not stand here. Actually, we overpowered the water by pouring soil to raise the ground. The laundry job may not be very profitable, but you may have a budget because I can get 20,000 Uganda shillings a day and have some saving, but fishing I may get 50,000 shillings today and spend another week when there is no fish catch. And this made fishing difficult. There are reasons why I quit fishing, though I will not speak for others because they also have other issues. I decided to look for a business which can at least give me five to 10,000 Uganda shillings daily income and save at least 3,000 Uganda shillings, which is better than fishing. 
nsobola at least okufuna account wonga kaina daily income okusinga kunyanja so while some communities are able to adapt and thrive at the moment not everyone is able to change their way of living it's imperative that we help communities like these to adapt to climate change otherwise the effects will be devastating in the next episode we explore how people and communities make the difficult decisions forced on them by the changing climate This podcast was produced by BBC Media Action in collaboration with the IGAD Climate Prediction and Application Centre with financial support from the European Union.